Matthew chapter, 20, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity on him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, there's nothing that's quite so satisfying as a good revenge story, like somebody getting what they deserved. Like, for example, there was uh, this guy at a particular workplace, and uh, he was just really annoyed because he would bring in donuts and different treats, and there was somebody who would come and he'd always eat his treats. Cookies, donuts, cakes, whatever it was, there's someone that would just kind of go into the break room and steal his stuff. So he decided he was going to get back to him, back at him. And so what he decided to do was he was going to take donuts and he was going to do this to them. Put mustard inside of the donuts. Probably was the last time this guy stole. There was another story of a man who was getting divorced from his wife. His wife served him divorce papers, and he got back uh, at her by doing this to her hot tub, filling it with manure. Not a very good soak. Then there was a guy once who, he liked to wrap his presents really, really tightly. Uh, my wife likes to do this. Um, and so it's really, really hard to open presents. So for his birthday, he got a very special gift, a very special wrapping. And we have a picture of that here. It's a solid block of concrete, and inside is his present. Another story, there was a husband who was really lazy, didn't like to do anything or help around the house. And so his wife got a little bit annoyed, and so she gave him this shopping list. 3% milk, seedless strawberries, fat-free hummus, mellow cheese, diet, diet Coke, unsour cream. Imagine how long he took trying to find those items. But my favorite one was there was this, this guy in China, and he had this reserved parking spot. And he came up to his parking spot, and there was a dog that was laying in the parking spot. So he got out of his car, and he went over and allegedly kicked the dog. It wasn't very nice of him. Kicked the dog. The dog left. But the dog got a little upset, and he went away and got his friends. And then he came back, and we have a picture of what happened on the screen. 
tore up the guy's car, put all kinds of dents in the bumper. There's something that's kind of satisfying about getting revenge or seeing someone get what's coming to them. And this isn't just about trivial things. It's also sometimes about bigger things in life. Uh, for example, uh, those of us who you know, experienced 9-11 and, and all the, the, the trauma that that brought to our country, um, for the longest time, it's like as Americans, we wanted someone to pay for that injustice that was done to us as a country. Um, and then in 2011, Osama bin Laden was killed, and, and so many people were rejoicing over that, that he was brought to justice for the pain that he had caused our country. When someone murders someone else or uh, abuses someone, abuses the vulnerable, we try, sometimes take comfort in their getting their just punishment. In, uh, after World War II, of course, the Nazi, uh, Nazis built uh, several concentration camps, did atrocities to the Jews and other enemies of the state. And after World War II, Allied soldiers went into Dachau, uh, one of the most famous uh, concentration camps, and after seeing all the dead inmates and all of the, the, the trauma that these soldiers had caused, they ended up just killing all of the German soldiers who were there, whether they surrendered or not. Movies and television shows have this theme of revenge. I remember a couple of television shows I used to watch. I remember The Mentalist. Anyone ever watch The Mentalist? Um, and that is basically built on kind of this revenge theme that you know his son is killed and, by Red John and, and kind of it's about finding who did this and bringing them to justice. And uh, another one I used to watch is 24. Um, and part of that was, you know, these people, they do all these bad things, and then, you know, Jack Bauer is going to come, and he's going to uh, make sure they pay for what they've done. There's lots of other movies that are like that, and I haven't seen all these movies, so it's not a recommendation, or uh, not a recommendation, but uh, some revenge movies, Take In, Kill Bill, Count of Monte Cristo, uh, v for Vendetta, Gladiator, among others. And I think that this kind of theme of revenge is popular because, you know, we see injustices in our world and sometimes we feel like it, we're powerless to uh, fight against those injustices. And then we see on the screen that someone does something wrong and then they're paying for it. And there's something that's kind of, you know, satisfying about that. And we have this idea of kind of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that if someone does something uh, that is wrong, they should have a punishment that's kind of commensurate with that, 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 that it should be equal to what they did wrong. And so I think we're all wired with this sense of justice, that we want wrongs to be made right. And I think that's why this passage that Jesus, in what Jesus talks about here is the hardest thing that we would ever do as believers, and that is to forgive to let go of that desire for justice and for those who do evil to, to be paid back. It's hard because, you know, maybe someone has done something that really hurt us or um, maybe what that person did was 100% wrong and against what God has said and um, maybe even against just common human decency and kindness. And we're like, how do I move on from this? How do I forgive this person for what they did? C.S. Lewis once said this, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive, as we had during the war. And then to mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger. And when we talk a lot about forgiveness, but actually doing it when someone has harmed us deeply, it's tough. It's hard. I think it's one of the most difficult things that we are called to do as believers. I think Peter kind of 
was dealing with this struggle. Jesus had talked about forgiveness several times in the scripture. Uh, we looked at some of those times, like in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, talking about, you know, turning the other cheek and, and loving our enemies and, and those sorts of things. So he had talked about these things a number of times. But Peter is wondering, like, what's the limit? Like, I, I know it's a great idea that we should forgive other people, but like, when does that forgiveness run out? When do we get to a point where, like, okay, I'm done forgiving, and now let's move on to judge justice? Forgiveness was taught a lot in Judaism. It wasn't just Jesus who talked about forgiveness. It was taught as, as kind of a high virtue in Judaism. Um, but some, some rabbis taught that you would only need to forgive for, like, three times. Like, if someone did something three times that was wrong, and, and it, you know, they didn't show signs of repentance, then you did your duty, you did three times, that was enough, and move on. And so when Peter brings this question to Jesus, he's probably thinking he's being incredibly generous, like seven times for the same offense, seven times. And maybe he's even thinking Jesus is going to respond and be like, Peter, I mean, you're taking this too far. I know I said to forgive, but not seven times, like maybe two or three or four, but you don't have to forgive seven times. But Jesus amplifies that and he says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some manuscripts say 70 times seven. So why does Jesus say this? Why does he say 77 times? Are we supposed to keep a record, keep a log of, okay, we're on 76. Next time you're done. Next time I'm not going to forgive you. Well, I think the reason that he says this number is that he's, he's referring, alluding to a passage in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, thinking back on Genesis chapter 4, and Genesis chapter 4 is the story of Cain and Abel. And uh, in that story, Cain uh, and Abel both bring a sacrifice to God. And after they bring that sacrifice to God, of course, uh, God doesn't accept Cain's sacrifice, but he accepts Abel's sacrifice. And Cain is angry, and uh, he murders Abel. After that, uh, Cain is, is judged by God, and uh, there's a particular judgment that's brought upon him that he... Um, the ground isn't going to produce for him. He's going to be a sojourner. He's going to wander on the earth. And Cain's response is like, they're going, to, they're going to kill me. Someone's going to kill me when they find out what I've done. And God says, no, they're not going to kill you. I'm going to put this mark on you. And whoever kills you, they're going to experience this sevenfold judgment. If someone kills Cain, they're going to experience this sevenfold judgment. So Cain lives his life, sojourner, wanderer, he has a number of children, and one of his descendants is named Lamech. Lamech says the following words to his two wives, Ada and Zillah, in uh, Genesis chapter 4. He says, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold then Lamech's is 77-fold. Notice what he's saying here. He's saying, somebody came up and struck me, they hit me, and I killed them. It's not proportional. You know, it would be proportional if he said, oh, someone came up to me, they hit me, and so I took my fist and I knocked them out cold. doesn't say that. He says, someone struck me and they're in the ground now because nobody messes with me. And then he says this statement, he says, okay, Cain, he was avenged sevenfold. If someone hurt Cain, 
God was going to judge him sevenfold. But my wrath, it's even greater than God's. And so if someone messes with me, they're going to get it 77-fold. Nobody messes with Lamech. So Lamech, he's a hothead. You know, he, 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 if somebody messes with him, the response is going to be vicious and violent and not proportional with what has actually happened to him. So why does Jesus say this? I think what, uh, what Peter brings to Jesus, this question, it's a reasonable question. Like, is seven times enough? reasonable question. Like, I mean, somebody does something seven times wrong. I mean, isn't there a point where you run out of patience? So it's a reasonable thing, but I think Jesus is responding and alluding to this passage and saying, okay, what I'm looking for you as a follower of me, I'm not looking for a reasonable response. Just like Lamech's vengeance and wrath was extravagant, as a follower of me, I want your forgiveness to be extravagant. It's not proportional. I want you to forgive in such a way that it doesn't make sense. Okay, maybe at seven points, that's seven times, it seems like that should be the limit. But as a follower of me who's showing you grace, I want you to be extravagant in your grace. And so that's the first thing I think we see in this passage is that God's people are to be marked by extravagant grace. That it's not supposed to make sense. It's not supposed to add up that the world looks and sees, like, how could this person forgive this other person for what they did? So it's supposed to be extravagant, just like Lamech's desire for vengeance was extravagant. So that's what we should, should do, and then the question is, why? And Jesus tells us. The answer Jesus gives is that we should show extravagant grace because we've been shown extravagant grace. And he used it as a parable to illustrate this point. In this parable, um, this man is coming to settle accounts with his servants. And uh, this one particular servant owes 10,000 talents. Now, we read this passage and we think like, okay, 10,000 talents is like $10,000. It's like a lot of money, but I mean, not crazy. Well, a talent was an exorbitant amount of money. And kind of to translate it into today's currency, it's kind of hard, especially with inflation. Uh, but when I think about it, just kind of a round number to think about, think about like a million dollars being a talent. And so 10,000 talents, think about that as being like $10 billion. Not only that, when in, in that day and age, the talent was the, the largest amount of currency, the, the largest measure of currency, and 10,000 was like the largest number that they had. And so when Jesus is saying that, he's basically saying like our word like zillions upon zillions. Imagine the servant owed zillions upon zillions. And literally, if it was 10,000 talents, this was like basically more than all of the currency that was in circulation in Jesus' time frame in that region. I mean, it's, it would be like if you owed all of the currency, you know, in Buffalo, like all the money that everyone had put together, that's how much you owed. Now, how did he owe that much? We're not told that. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a hyperbole, I think. I mean, how would you get into that that much? I mean, it'd have to be by gross mismanagement or by even theft. We don't know. We're not given that answer. But it's an incredible, incredible debt. And uh, not only that, the stakes are really high. And, and we know that the stakes are high because this is a Gentile court. It's not a Jewish court. We know it's a Gentile court because uh, in a Jewish court, one's family could not be sold for a debt. 
Further, in a Jewish court, there were measures for uh, forgiving debt. So in the year of Jubilee, there was uh, measures that you could have your debt be forgiven. That wasn't the case in Gentile courts. You would have to stay in prison until you paid back your debt. And so this servant realizes the stakes are really high. He owes this incredible debt, and he bows down. He pleads with the master and says, have mercy on me. He says, I'll pay it back. And that's just silly. It's just laughable. There's no way he's paying that back. It's like if you owed $10 billion, uh, there's no way you're paying it back. You know, unless you're like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, you're not paying that back. It's incredible debt. There's no way he could pay that back. And it says in the text, the master has compassion on him and forgives his debt. But then the servant goes out and he finds his fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii was about three, a little over three months' wage. Denarius was about the, the average wage for a worker for a day. He goes up and the, he has this violence to him. He goes up, he accosts him, he grabs him by the throat, says, pay back what you owe. And then that fellow servant says to him, has basically the same response. He begs for mercy. He says, be patient with me. I'll pay it back. I'll pay it back. Now that was a debt he could pay back. I mean, it wasn't $10 billion. It wasn't 10,000 talents. But the servant has no compassion on him, throws him in prison. Other servants see this injustice that's occurred. Go and tell the master, and the master is, is just beside himself, livid, angry because of what this servant has done. How could he show this kind of vengeance and wrath towards someone when he has been shown such great mercy? And Jesus gives us the sobering words at the end of this passage. He says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. See, if we want to live in a world where everyone is paid back for what they've done, I mean, that's great, but it's not going to turn out good for us. Because each and every one of us are guilty. And we can't expect God to forgive us if we're not willing to forgive our brother or sister. I mean, think about it. We, we, think, we praise God for the fact that his mercies are new every morning. And I don't know about you, but I need his mercy. I need his forgiveness every day. I mean, it's hard to go even a day without sinning. And yet we come to him and we repent and ask his forgiveness, and his grace washes over us. His mercies are new every morning. And we think about that and the debt that we owe God because of who he is and also because of what we've done and who we are. And the debt's unpayable. It's, it's insurmountable. Literally, just about every day or almost every day of our life, we've done something wrong that's deserving of God's judgment, and yet he shows us grace. He shows us his mercy. And yet sometimes it's like we praise God for his grace and then somebody like cuts us off and we're like, man, that person, they need to pay. Like, I hope they get a ticket. Or, you know, we're, you know, praising God for his grace and then we're just thinking about like, okay, this person, they really hurt me and they need to be judged for this. It's like, it, it doesn't make sense. If God has shown us such grace, we need to show grace to those around us. And that doesn't mean that it, it's not hurtful. It doesn't mean that it doesn't wound us. I mean, think about it. This servant, he was owed three months' wage, or over three months' wage. 
And living in an agrarian society as a servant, I mean, it's hard work going out in the field every day. So it's 100 days labor. Wasn't insignificant. And so forgiving that debt was costly. But in in comparison to 10,000 talents, what he owed, it was nothing. And so people may hurt us. They may wound us deeply. But we need to extend the same grace that we've been given because every one of us was headed for an eternity separated from God in hell. And he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And each and every day his mercies are new. Each and every day we can come to the fountain of grace. And so we need to offer that grace to others. God's people must be marked by extravagant grace because we've been shown extravagant grace. So I think that's what Jesus shows us in this passage that our grace, our forgiveness shouldn't be proportional. It shouldn't make sense. It should make the world go, this doesn't make sense. This is crazy. And the reason we do that, the fuel for doing that is the grace that we've been shown in Jesus. But as we think about that, I think there's a couple questions that come up as we deal with like practical things in our life or people have harmed us. And so the first question that maybe we have is like, Does a person have to repent in order for me to forgive them? Does a person have to repent in order for for me to forgive them? And and the short answer is no. First of all, you know, we have a responsibility before God and and our ultimate allegiance is to him. And I believe that Jesus calls us to that, to seek peace with everyone by all means if possible. But also, when we choose not to forgive, the only person it's hurting is, is us. Now, think about that hypothetical situation. Maybe someone has done something wrong to you, and maybe uh, they are not repentant. They don't apologize. If that's the case, what's the reality? They probably don't care. I mean, if they cared, they would repent. They would apologize. They probably don't care. It's not the first thing in their mind. But if you're holding on to that unforgiveness, it's going to eat you up, and it's not going to hurt that person. It's only going to hurt yourself. There's a study that was done at Erasmus University several years ago, and they found that unforgiveness could literally have physical effects on you. And and what they found was uh, they they did this study where people would come in and they asked some people to talk about uh, a time, a conflict that they had, um, and a time when they had chosen not to forgive someone. Other people were told to talk about a conflict and tell about a time they had forgiven someone. And other people were told just to kind of talk about a conflict where it just kind of resolved and and it wasn't real significant. And what they found was the people who had forgiven were able to jump higher than the people who had not forgiven. Those who said they had forgiven others jumped 11.8 inches on average. Those who had held on to their grudges jumped 8.5 inches. And so it's not becoming upon someone else to repent before we forgive them. Now, it is necessary sometimes for for reconciliation to occur, for forgiveness to kind of come to fruition. Uh, Reconciliation can occur unless both parties come to the table, unless there maybe is repentance or um, there is some kind of contrition. But we can do our part in forgiving someone from our hearts. Next question we sometimes maybe have when it comes to this idea of forgiveness. Does forgiveness mean that consequences are removed? And again, the answer is no. When we choose to forgive someone, it doesn't remove the consequences of what they've done. 
a couple things. So first of all, when we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about personal forgiveness. We're not talking about legal forgiveness. In other words, if someone murders someone else, um, it would not be proper or right for a judge and jury to say, okay, I know that there was a murder that occurred. I know this person murdered this other person, but we're just going to forgive them. No, that, that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's, we're, he's talking about personal forgiveness, not legal or corporate forgiveness. Uh, the role of government is to uh, ideally uh, judge those who do wrong and um, praise those who do right, as Paul says in Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, he says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so, you know, just because someone is forgiven, just because we forgive them, doesn't mean that all the consequences are removed. Same thing is true, like, you know, as a parent, you know, if my son comes up and slaps me in the face, I can forgive him. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be any consequences for what he's done. I, it's my job to raise him, to, to discipline him so he doesn't get into trouble later on. And so consequences, for, forgiveness does not remove consequences. Uh, also in the church, sometimes in, in the case of church discipline, someone you know, could be forgiven but also experience consequences for their behavior. Uh, also, forgiveness doesn't necessarily equal trust. Um, I think this is important to point out sometimes because uh, people who are abusive sometimes use apologies as manipulation. And they'll use apology as a manipulation, and you'll have situations where maybe a husband is, is abusing a, a, his spouse's wife, and he's like, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm never going to do this again, you know, and then he does, and he does, and he does. And forgiving him doesn't necessarily mean going back with him and subjecting yourself to that abuse. So forgiveness doesn't equal trust. Maybe there's some boundaries that have to be put up. Maybe there's separation that has to occur in a relationship. You can forgive someone even if you have to put up those boundaries, even if there's a separation. Also, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the vengeance, you know, we're talking about consequences, ultimately, when we forgive someone, we're not saying like, okay, what they did was right. We're just basically, we turn that over to God, and we say, God, you know, you are the judge. You are the one who's in charge of this, and, and, and each person is going to be judged for what they've done. You know, either they're going to repent, and they'll experience sorrow for their sin, uh, or they'll experience God's judgment, whether this life or the life to come. And, and so there's still consequences, even if we forgive someone. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, letting them off the hook. It means that we're letting them off, uh, you know, we're not allowing our judgment to, to, to come over them, that we're not choosing to exercise vengeance over them, that we're saying vengeance is, is, belongs to God, that he's the one that's going to repay, to repay and my job is to, is to forgive them. My job is to show them the love of Christ. And um, one other thing, sometimes people will be like, okay, I know I should forgive someone, uh, and, and I do, uh, but I, I'm going to forgive, but I'm not going to forget and I think that we need to be kind of careful with that because, you know, if we're saying, okay, I'm going to forgive someone, but, like, I'm going to just kind of be on guard and have some boundaries up, okay, that can be a good thing. But oftentimes when we say things like that, we're like, I know that I should forgive them. I mean, I know it's the right thing to do, but I'm going to hold on to it. Like, I'm not there yet. 
Like, maybe I'll be nice to them, maybe I'll treat them kindly, but I'm not going to forget what they've done. I'm going to hold on to this. And we allow this to consume us. So we need to be careful with that. We need to be careful. Jesus says that we need to forgive our brother or application or sister from our heart. Can't be just lip service. It has to be from the heart. Final question. Does forgiveness mean that I'm no longer upset over what's happened? Again, I don't think the answer, I think the answer is no. One can still forgive and still be upset or grieved by what has happened. There was a study that was done by Dr. Lola Rowe, and she's done research on the effects of forgiveness on uh, physiological measurements, especially blood pressure. And she did a a study that was kind of similar to the the earlier ones we talked about. Um, But what she would do was she had people come in and tell about a time where they were really hurt, really wounded. And so as people were telling their stories, as soon as they started telling the story, everybody's blood pressure would go up. I mean, if you, if you go there into your mind where a time when someone has really hurt you deeply, I mean, it's going to cause some physiological effects. So everybody's blood pressure went up. But what they found was some people's blood pressure, it would go up, and then they'd start talking about it, and then it would quickly dip back down. Other people, as they were talking about it, it would just keep going up, and it would just stay, stay high the whole time. What she found was even more remarkable was that people who tended to hold on to these grudges, they tended to have higher blood pressure in general, just as a resting blood pressure as well. She said this, many of the stories I have heard have been profoundly disturbing, and the person will never forget what has happened to them. She says, but I have seen instances of people completely come into resolution about it, and they show the pattern uh, of the forgiving person. Their blood pressure increases, but it drops off as they talk about it. And they're very quickly back to normal. Where someone else may have a far more trivial incident, but if they're hanging on to it for dear life, you see the pattern of the maintenance of blood pressure and the slow recovery. So I don't think the severity of the experience determines the health effects. It's really how the person is able to incorporate this this past experience into their lives. We've all had things in our lives that have maybe been hurtful to us. And maybe when we think about it, when we go there, maybe it still saddens our heart. Maybe it still grieves us. But the choice is, do we hold on to that? Are we holding on to that? Are we holding on to unforgiveness? Or are we choosing to let it go, even though it might still be helpful? Do we choose not to allow it to control our lives? As we close today, God's, forgive, God's people must be marked by extravagant grace. Because we've been shown extravagant grace in Christ. And forgiveness is really living in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Tim Keller puts it, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever dare hope. I mean, if we really believe that, if we are really more sinful than we ever dared believe, if we are desperate for God's grace and mercy every day of our life, And if it's true that his mercy and grace is new every morning, that every time we mess up and come back to him, he says, come back home. If we believe that and if we believe that he sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we might experience life, how could we not show that same grace to others? Grace that's so trivial in comparison to what God has shown us in Jesus. Great theologian J.C. Ryle put it this way. 
Forgiven souls are humble. They cannot forget that they owe all that they have and hope for to free grace. And this keeps them lowly. They are brands plucked from the fire, debtors who could not pay for themselves, captives who must have remained in prison forever, but for undeserved mercy, wandering sheep who were ready to perish when the shepherd found them. And what right then do they have to be proud? God's people are to be marked by extravagant grace because we have been shown such extravagant grace in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the extravagant grace that you showed us in Christ. We thank you that while we owed a debt that we could never repay, that we could never get out of, we thank you that you sent your son to pay that debt for us so that we might experience life. Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. That even though we stumble, even though we fail, when we repent and come back to you, we can experience your grace and mercy. Lord, help us to be people of grace. Help us to be people of extravagant mercy and forgiveness. Help the, the world to look on and, and see us. Say, man, that doesn't make sense. How could they forgive someone for what they did? How could they just let that go? How could they show love to someone who has harmed them so much? And as they do that, Lord, may it point not to our righteousness and our strength, but to your great love and to your great mercy that's been poured on us. Lord, we acknowledge today that this is something that is so difficult for us to do, that our hearts often long for justice and revenge but help us to lay down those things at the foot of the cross and to show your extravagant grace to those around us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.